Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Catch Podcast, where we talk about the big three North American sports in basketball, baseball, and football. Today, we're going to have a little touch-up on all the topics today. So, we're going to start off with the NBA and basketball today. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and the playoff matchups have been set. There's a lot of interesting ones. Uh, We're going to just break those down and break down the ones that are must-see basketball in my eyes. So, first questions first. The big talk of all the postseason and big bubble and everything is the play from the Portland Trailblazers and Damian Lillard. Lillard has proven this season, I think, his best season of his career by far, and I think it's being overlooked a lot. Um, Damian Lillard, for the first time in his career, is averaging 30 points a game. Career high. He is averaging eight assists a game, also a career high. And a career high in minutes as well, with 37 and a half minutes per game. Lillard has been fantastic. In the end of the regular season, not including the seeding games, uh, but at the end of the regular season, before he played Memphis, uh, which was yesterday, and they clinched that eighth spot, uh, Damian Lillard, since missing crucial free throws against the Clippers, which Patrick Beverly and Paul George got into it with Lillard, uh, things crossed the line a little bit. Apparently, PG and Lillard are cool with each other now. It's just is basketball, you know, shit talk, the usual. So, that being said, though, it sparked something in Lillard, and he played fantastic those few games afterwards. 51.3 points a game, 56% from the field, and nine assists a game with 21 three-pointers made and a three-game stretch. That, I think, is just... All you need to know. Um, Lillard was going off, averaging 50-plus. He is the third player, um, or no, the sixth player in NBA history to score three 60-point games in his career. He's the only player currently in NBA history to have more than two 60-point games. James Harden has two 60-point games. He has a 60 and a 61. The 61, he had a triple-double. That was unbelievable. Career high for James Harden. And then he also had a 60-point game. So, nevertheless, Damian Lillard proving that he is one of the top-tier point guards in our league. And because he's on a team that doesn't have a good record... He's not getting a lot of recognition for it. And this is something I brought up in my last episode last week. Uh, I said guys like Damian Lillard, guys like uh, Devin Booker, or TJ Warren, those type of guys don't really get enough credit whenever they do step up and play well for their team. And that's just because you see guys like, you know, Giannis, Harden, and, you know, LeBron, who are always on, you know, top four team at worst. You know, like the Rockets, for instance, they're the fourth seed. They had a chance to get up as high as the two seed. They just couldn't close it out due to a lot of key injuries and just not enough time. Um, Now, granted, we are 15 games less than we're used to having in uh, the regular season uh, because of the whole coronavirus and everything, but 
even still, I think what Damian Lillard is doing is very impressive with them, and I think it makes the Trailblazers a very scary team to look out for. Now, their first-round matchup is against the Lakers, so it's a make-or-break matchup, I think. If they beat the Lakers, everybody's going to pick the Blazers to win it all because they beat the number one team in the Western Conference as an eight seed at that. Unlikely, but I'm not going to rule it out because if any team in these lower seeds and the lower five to eight, you know, the bottom half of the seeding, any of those guys really just, I did, I don't think any of them really have a legit shot at a championship, but I do believe if any of them can pull it out of their ass, so to speak, this is definitely the team. This Trailblazer team is the team. They've got talent left and right. I just think they haven't been able to utilize it to the best of its abilities. Now, granted, we do have guys like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Hassan Whiteside who are on the bench who are starting caliber players just don't get starting caliber minutes, but that does not mean that, you know, it's a lack of production there. That He was the insurance policy for them if Yurkic got hurt again, but he has been come back and he has played great, and uh, I know he just lost his grandmother to uh, COVID-19, and he went out and bowled out, had a double-double in the first half against Memphis, and was one of the big key factors on why they were able to pull away and win that game. Uh, all their star players, that essentially, when you think about the way Portland likes to run things, their big three of their offense, Jurkic, McCollum, and Lillard, they all were productive. They all did their job, and that's why they were able to convincingly beat... Um, I, I say convincingly. They were able to have control of that ball game from the majority of the ball game and come late game they had somebody else who they they already had all their guys getting covered they had Jurkic getting the double team they had Lillard getting a double team they had McCollum getting a double team and when you have that many guys that you're worried about on offense you're bound to leave a good shooter open and it cost them by leaving Carmelo Anthony open who is by no means a slouch I mean, Melo is a type of guy who can drop 15 for you on any given night, and, you know, a lot of those are going to be some big-time threes. I think Melo's production is not necessarily in the stats. It's more of the timing in which the production comes. He seems to be making a lot of big shots for Portland when they need him, and they've been needing that third guy who can make a shot for him whenever it comes down to, okay, you shut down our two guards, what are we going to do? You know, because Lillard... He's been able to to change his game to where if he doesn't get it going offensively for himself, he'll find a way to get his teammates open. He'll find a way to get them going. He's not afraid to take a step back and let the team go to work, and that's something that you can really respect from Damian Lillard. He's willing to put in all the work, and he's willing to you know, be patient with it. And that, I, I believe he said something similar to Paul George and, uh, Patrick Beverly about leaving their teams to go on a better team, and that's a fair point. I think he is one of those few guys of a dying breed now that is loyal and will do anything for the team that gave him a shot, and he's he's proving it. He's having the best year of his career, you know. This late in his career, he's 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 still peaking, you know. He's still getting better, and that's what's scary is if you put Damian Lillard 
on a team like the Rockets or a team like the Lakers or the Clippers or, hell, even the Warriors, I mean, this guy's going to just dominate. I mean, he has everything in his game to be a great all-around player. And another reason to put into light how well Damian Lillard is playing this year. Damian Lillard is one of two players. It's only happened three times in history, but he is the second player in history to have 40% from the three with at least 10.3 point attempts a game. And the only other person to do this is Steph Curry twice and 2015 and 2018 during that dynasty stretch that the Warriors had. And they, they, they really were a dynasty, just weren't able to close out and be an efficient dynasty, you know. Uh, it's just, Steph Curry was unreal, and I don't think anybody can deny how crazy his shooting is. And it's just, it's crazy that a lot of people just aren't looking at Dame stats the same where they were uh, Steph. Because I think Dame time is for real. Dame time's legit. I, I'm a Rockets fan. The first time Dame time came to be was when he hit a buzzer beater over Chandler Parsons. And it was against the Rockets. I believe it was the 2012 postseason, 2013. And it was a game winner to send Houston home and have the Blazers advance to, to the next round for the first time in 15 to 17 years, I believe. And that's just... Since then, it's literally just been an improvement. And they have stayed patient with this man because they've seen it from the beginning. And as... An objective fan of basketball. You really want to see Damian Lillard succeed. You really want to see this guy get one. He is one of the hardest working guys out there. And I think the real problem why a lot of people don't like him is because he'll let you know when he's better than you. <laughs> and that that's part of the reason why a lot of people don't like him. But in fairness, you know who also was that way? Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant. These are the guys that would put in the work and they would let everybody know that they were better and their game would talk their game would say it all they wouldn't have to make an argument the game would do it all you know and I, I think Damian Lillard's game is at that point just he's not getting the same kind of recognition and I don't know if 30 points a game is no longer as impressive because you got guys like James Harden who are doing it season in and season out like nothing making it look easy but I still think he cracked 30 points a game this season. His previous career high before this season, and it's not including last season, because last season it was roughly under 26 points a game. His previous career high was 27 points a game. Despite all that, he's still scoring at a more efficient rate, and he is scoring a better rate. He has had a career high this year in assist and points. That is a tremendous feat. I mean, at the end of the day, this guy's putting up easily. He's putting up 15, 20 more points for you than he normally would. And that's including the assist. That's including, you know, the extra five points a game at most. You know, his previous career high was 27. He is averaging 30 flat right now, 30 points a game, eight assists a game. His previous career high in assists, 6.9. So he's already getting an, um, another assist a game, and he's getting about five more points a game than his career highs. This isn't counting last season. This is just the best he's had before this point. And he's playing even better than that. So they are 
definitely a team I would watch out for. If they catch some momentum, they are going to be very hard to stop. And that's the thing about basketball. Sometimes if a team's got a hot hand, there's nothing you can do about it. That's any sport. Basketball, baseball, football, any of them. If a team starts rolling, it's hard to stop them unless you're just that disciplined with your play. And even still, that won't always result in success. But Damian Lillard, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch him against the Lakers in round one. That's going to be a very interesting matchup. Another good matchup, you know, of course, uh, would be, I think this is going to be the matchup of the entire first round, just because it, on paper, looks like the perfect matchup. The Thunder versus the Rockets. The Rockets are down a man with Russell Westbrook, who is going to be confirmed to miss a few games. Haven't determined how many, but the assumption would be a minimal of two to three games. And depending on how the Rockets can handle the series against the Thunder, it depends on when Westbrook will come back. Now, what's interesting about this is you have Chris Paul, who was traded for Russell Westbrook in the offseason, playing good basketball, not the best of his career, But shooting percentage-wise, he is playing some of the best basketball of his career, no doubt. Points per game, however, 17 to 18 points a game is nothing really to brag home about, you know. There's nothing spectacular, nothing great about it, but more than serviceable. He has been able to get this team moving offensively, and that's something that, honestly, you can say Russell Westbrook struggled with. And that's no discredit to Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, I still think, is a top three point guard in this game, and you cannot change my mind on that fact. But I believe that Chris Paul is just, he has not necessarily a better vision, but it's a more dynamic court vision. You know, Russ will drive to the basket, and he'll dish it out for a three. Chris Paul will spin a guy around and then dish it out. You know, he, he will he will try to break some guy's ankles. If he can't, then he's going to dish it out to a guy who's behind him or a guy that's right under the basket. You know, he, he's able to have those pinpoint precision passes when you need him to the most. And I think that's the big difference maker is Russ is a guy who's going to take the shot and Chris Paul's a guy who will find it for somebody else. And I think that's the big difference maker in their playmaking abilities. Now, with Russ out, you're forcing it to be a James Harden versus Chris Paul matchup, which I think, regardless, is a must-see matchup. Because you're going to see Chris Paul against the team that traded him away. The team that thought he had nothing left to give him. They gave him a max contract and traded him one year afterwards. And in fairness, he's still not worth that max contract. But for a team like the Thunder, you don't mind eating up some cap because you made the playoffs after... Having predicted, Vegas gave them, ESPN gave them 0.2%. That's how much they had faith. That's how much faith they had in the Thunder of making the playoffs. That's how destroyed the team had looked. But Chris Paul had been able to make these guys play well. And this is where Coach Chris Paul really looks like he'd be successful. I think Chris Paul, I think there's not a doubt in a lot of people's mind, he is very knowledgeable on the game, and I think he will be a good head coach one day. There's no doubt about that. He could definitely lead one of these teams. 
uh, even better than what Monty Williams has been doing with uh, the Suns. Even though they were able to weren't able to make the playoffs, they still went on an eight game win streak while playing good basketball against good teams. And uh, I think that was the the biggest thing to watch out for is Chris Paul is able to do that while also contributing himself on the floor. And guys, guys respect Chris Paul. He's built his reputation. He's known as one of the greatest point guards this game has ever seen. He just hasn't had that type of play in the last few years. The only thing that never seems to stagger or change, no matter what team he goes to, is the assist he gets a game. He's always going to be efficient with getting minimal seven to eight assists a game. He is a great point guard, one of the best we've ever seen. And... Um, He's a really good on-the-court coach, and some of those guys that are these on-the-court coaches are, as we've been able to see, are typically unstoppable when they have a team around them. So that's what makes the Thunder so scary is because their team is decent. It's not a bad team. I think even all things considered on how everyone's playing, I think this should, should have been a little bit more expected. I never thought the Thunder would miss the playoffs, but I did not expect them to be as high as a five seed. You know, I did not expect them to get that high. But here they are, uh, playing past everyone's expectations and playing very well at that. So we'll see if it can transfer over into the playoffs because they have had some season success against the Rockets already. And now it's just going to be James Harden really pulling the load. And I mean, you still have other key score contributors like, Eric Gordon, who's coming back from injury, but he is coming back from an injury, so there's no telling that he will be 100% come postseason. It might even take him a few games before he can even get back into it. And Eric Gordon's a toss-up sometimes, because sometimes he'll give you 18 points, sometimes he'll give you 8, sometimes he'll even give you 2. <laughs> you know the attempts are going to be there for Eric Gordon, but you don't know if the efficiency will always follow. And that's just... That's a matchup thing. Sometimes he just doesn't have the better of the matchup. Uh, but moving on from that, I <clears throat> I think if we're going to talk about predictions on that, I think that's going to be a 6-7 game series. Uh, realistically, I think the Rockets have what it takes to beat them in five. Wouldn't surprise me if they did. But I also see... Chris Paul not going down without a fight and them making it at least a six-game series. That's my prediction. I think Rockets in six or seven, but overall, by the time Westbrook gets back, as long as they don't force him back from his injury, I think they're going to have everything they need to move on from OKC. It won't be easy, but they have all the tools they need. Uh, Moving on from that, uh, we also have the Nuggets and the Jazz. I have the Nuggets winning that one. Uh, the Jazz have been an okay team, but the Jazz have always been up and down. Uh, Donovan Mitchell's getting better, but he just he doesn't have the help around him. And Mike Conley really hasn't worked out the way I thought he would. I don't think he's worked out the way most people thought he would. Uh, he's showing that he's past his prime now, so, I mean, they might make it an interesting series, but I still see the Nuggets taking it. And, five or six uh, and then the last of the western conference we have the clifford the clippers and the mavericks and i think that is a interesting matchup as well because i would not be surprised in the slightest if luca just goes on a tear in this series and catches the clippers off guard 
Uh, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. Luka and that offense have been magical this season. They've been one of the most efficient and high-scoring offenses in the league. And I I just, I still feel there are a few pieces away in Dallas. Uh, they've got Luka, they've got Chris Topps, a good complimentary secondary superstar. They have their superstars down pack. I think they need another guy who's like, similar to how, uh, Robert Covington has been for the Rockets, you know, some guy that can give them good defense while as well as complimentary offense. You know, you don't have to be spectacular, just needs you to make two to three threes a game serviceable and then play at a good caliber of defense. Some guy who could really just shut down opposing guards and forwards. I think that's really what they're struggling with the most, uh, as you could tell with a lot of their matchups against the Rockets this season, they were 3-1 and one against the Rockets, and that being re- the reason why, I think, is the Rockets play small ball, and they just don't have anybody who could hold all them guards like that. So it'll be interesting to see how they play the Clippers. It can either be a one-sided Clippers winning it and the Mavericks just making every game close, but not really the series, or you might see Luka go on another another level. We really haven't seen playoff Luka like this. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to perform. Uh, I, I don't see them getting out of the first round, though. So, But moving on to the Eastern Conference, we have the number one Bucks against the Magic. Uh, I think that's a 4-0 sweep. I think the Bucks are going to take that one easy. Uh, I really don't see much competition from the Magic. Maybe if they're lucky, they'll get one game. Five, a five-game series at best. Uh, but the the interesting one in the Eastern Conference, however, I like this matchup. It is the Miami Heat versus the Indiana Pacers, a.k.a. Jimmy Butler versus T.J. Warren, where these guys have had some beef this season, and they're constantly talking mess to one another, and Jimmy has held T.J. in check based off of how he was before he played the Heat. Before he played the Heat, he was on a tear, being a monster, 35 a game. But afterwards, Jimmy held him in check, 16-point game, and he really hasn't exploded since. So I think that's going to be an interesting matchup because I really think this one can go either way. The Heat have Jimmy Butler. They have a couple of good pieces here and there. But, you know, Andre Godawa, Jimmy Butler, you know. But I just... I don't think they're complete enough. You know, I don't think they have a good enough team to really advance further than the second round. Now, I think because of a favorable matchup, they have a chance to move on to the second round anyway. Uh, I still kind of like the Heat a little bit more in this series, but it wouldn't surprise me either if the Pacers were able to just go off. The big thing is just having TJ Warren play well. I think he will be the deciding factor if the Pacers can advance at all. T.J. Warren's tear right now is kind of reminding me of somebody else who played with Indiana, uh, Paul George. He really is starting to remind me a lot of when Paul George played for Indiana. Now, it's not to say this guy's no Paul George, but he's playing like one. So until he can consistently go back to the level that we are used to seeing from T.J. Warren. I think it's something to keep in mind. Um, the other matchups uh, have the Raptors versus the Nets. Uh, that's going to be a 
tough matchup for the Raptors. Uh, I think the Nets are one of those sneaky good teams. Uh, you know, I, I I still see the Raptors winning it in six, but it wouldn't surprise me if that script was flipped and the Raptors just couldn't pull one out. Um, you never know. I think the Raptors have a really good head coach, so anything is possible with them. And then the last matchup of the Eastern Conference is the Celtics versus the Sixers. You're basically getting to see Al Horford's return to Boston after he left there for Philadelphia to play with the Sixers. So that'll be interesting. I still think the Sixers are going to end up winning. Um, Personally, I'd like the Celtics to win more. I'm I'm a nice Jason Tatum fan, and I think him and Jalen Brown are a really good combo. And Kemba Walker, let's see how he plays in the postseason, because this is something that's new to Kemba. Uh, That's going to be a very interesting twist. I think that's, out of all the series in the Eastern Conference, other than the Heat and Pacers, that's the other one I'd keep my mind uh, or keep my uh, eye on. That is just, that looks like it'll be a fun series. or it could also be one-sided, because who's to say that, you know, Philadelphia is going to respond positively after the last time they were in the postseason, Kawhi sent them home on a game winner. So, it's to be determined with them. But now we're going to move on from that, and on to football. All right, now we're going to talk about NFL with football season around the corner and presumably, assuming it does not, you know, get canceled because of coronavirus, um, you know, we're going to talk about fantasy. We're going to talk about the, the players you must have and the players that you might not know to look out for. Let me give you a little helpful advice on your fantasy. So to give a little sum on how my fantasy skills were, uh, I've played fantasy for the last two years. Have not really played fantasy before that, except for a a fluke year before that. And I think a lot of what fantasy is, it's people get stuck in the analytics and the projections and all of this. And I, I think the big thing is to look out for guys that, even if they're not necessarily a good player, they can still give you good fantasy value. Uh and sometimes they will evolve into good players. I mean, that tends to happen with certain guys in certain situations. A good example of that is last season, DJ Chark. Really just, I I brought him on my fantasy team in the second week. Because game one, he had three catches all over like 30 yards or something like that. And uh I remember it caught my eye because he'd get open deep. And those are the type of players, like, for a receiver, you want to see those guys that, you know, they may not get a high quantity of catches, but the quality of the catch is good. You know, um, DJ Chark just exploded last season and was one of the top fantasy wideouts last year, one of the top 10 wideouts in fantasy. And, that is a good reason, and uh, I think moving forward, he's also going to be one of those big names that I would, I'd circle. I wouldn't necessarily draft him as my wide receiver one, but maybe as the wide receiver two or my flex for sure. Um, if you're talking about in the terms of fantasy, here's the list of names that 
I think are you need to consider every single name on this list. And a lot of these are given, and some of these I think people are going to look over. Um, you know, yeah, of course you have your obvious, like Christian McCaffrey. I mean, he last year, fantasy running back of a fucking decade. I mean, the guy had, uh, I think it was over 350 points in total fantasy for the season, like setting a record for fantasy. So I think that's all you need to see for you to go out and get him number one. Uh, another guy at running back, Leonard Fournette. Uh, I think he is a good pick to go for. Uh, he was slept on a lot last year because people thought he was injury prone. And I, I hate that people give players that that um, that label of injury prone after one season. They think he was injury riddled one season, so he's injury prone. Or back to back season, he was injury riddled, so he's injury prone. Sometimes it's just a player rushing back before they can get healthy, and they're trying so hard to be healthy, they end up straining something else or hurting themselves even more, making it harder to recover and harder to get back to where you were. So I, I think that was the case with Fournette. He really struggled with injuries in uh, tw the 2018 season and the 2019 season last year. Full healthy season and... He was a very solid, productive running back, top 10 running back. Uh, another one I want to say is uh, Chris Godwin. Easy, easy pick. I think everybody's going to go for Chris Godwin. It's a good one. Uh, Chris Godwin is he, – I think he is going to be deadlier than Mike Evans. Now, that's not to say I don't think Mike Evans is – not a go-to. Mike Evans is definitely my go, one of my go-tos, but I'm not going to get Mike Evans at wide receiver one. I'd rather go for Chris Godwin at wide receiver one. If you can get him at wide receiver two in some of the later rounds, I'd go for Mike Evans anytime. But if you had to choose between the two, I'm going Chris Godwin. Because Chris Godwin, Mike Evans was good, but Chris Godwin was great. Mike Evans had Big time plays. Chris Godwin had consistency. And I think in fantasy, consistency is the biggest thing you want. Even if a guy manages to just, he only gets playing time in the red zone. If this guy is scoring two touchdowns a game, well then, I think that's worth the risk to get 14 points out of a flex player. It doesn't even have to be your starter. And occasionally those type of guys will also explode and have monster games for way more than just 14 points, sometimes 40. It just, it really depends. Uh, my number one go-to wide receiver, I think this is another obvious one, is Michael Thomas. And he is a guy that, I think last year, he proved to everybody he is one of the best receivers in the league because he was able to consistently put up 18 plus a game. He had two games below 18 points, zero games below 15 points. And th this is for PPR leagues. He was just unbelievably good. Michael Thomas was a gem if you got him as your wide receiver one or two. I was able to be lucky enough and was offered a trade that I just couldn't deny for Michael Thomas, and looking back, I bet you the guy who gave me the trade probably doesn't feel too confident about it. 
uh, at the time it was for Josh Gordon and uh, David Njoku, I think. I picked him up as like a waiver tight end or something. And he took it. And originally, I tried to counter-offer and offer him letter for net, but he wanted David Njoku because he didn't have a tight end. Panicked, and he gave me the best receiver in football last year. So, safe to say I won my fantasy having him, you know, uh, DJ Chark and Christian McCaffrey. So, if that word goes any distance on who you should pick in fantasy... Hopefully, you know, my, my word carries weight when it comes to the subject. Uh, but Michael Thomas, go-to wide receiver one. He's going in the top five of mostly. Same with Christian McCaffrey. So if you're able to, to pick in the top five, if any of those guys are there, I'm picking them. And another guy I would also consider, especially after his new payday he just got, George Kittle. I think is a good go-to. He is a monster. He's able to always have these 25-plus yard plays. And in fantasy, when you're a receiver getting those type of plays, that's all you need. Just one 25-yard touchdown reception, and you're serviceable for the entire day, especially at tight end. Tight end is such a hard position to get good. If you don't have one of these elite guys at tight end, it's it's going to be hard to get that type of production. It's going to be hard to really fill that void. So you're going to need guys at other positions that are bet far better, you know. But if you're able to nab a guy like George Kittle, I'd say get him. Another guy I'd say is a go-to at that position, and another obvious one is Tra- Travis Kelsey. I think Travis Kelsey has a chance to really be one of the better receivers this year. Last year, he was up and down. Uh, he kind of dealt with injuries himself. He also dealt with quarterback injuries to where that affects a receiver's game a lot is quarterback injuries. Now, rarely you'll have a guy like Michael Thomas to where you don't even miss a step, but Michael Thomas is also heavily incorporated into the Saints game plan with or without their starting quarterback. So that being said, that's something to keep in mind for Travis Kelsey because he is not necessarily always into the Chiefs' offensive game plan. And in fairness, he doesn't always have to be because he's such a good tight end overall. He's able to do so much more for you than just catching the ball. He's able to be a very good blocker as well, and that's part of what helps for him. And uh, on the topic of tra- getting Travis Kelsey on the Chiefs, another fantasy lookout for you is... Any of their running backs, Damian Williams or the rookie Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think either one of those two are really good. I'd lean more towards the rookie uh, because I think this is his introduction year, so to speak. I wouldn't get him as an RB1. I would get him as an RB2 or a flex. But I think he, he is definitely one of those those guys that I think has a chance to break out and they're going to eventually move on from Damian Williams and they're going to use Clyde Edwards Hilaire, especially while they still have him under a rookie contract. They're going to try to milk that and take the most advantage of it as they can. 
I think that is a good guy under the radar guy that I would watch out for that you're not going to see go in those early rounds. The real thing is to just figure out once you start seeing those RB2s go off the board, that's when I'd start considering it. Another guy that's under the radar a little, and I, I think this one is going to be slept on unless you are playing in a league with the fans of the Texans, and that's David Johnson. Now, before we get on to David Johnson, I want to mention, before he got hurt with a, a sprained ankle, mind you, this was not nothing serious, just he got hurt with a sprained ankle, and due to good running back play, they decided to move on from David Johnson entirely. So, after that, he had been given five snaps since that injury, and there was at least six games left. So, in fairness, this is just a sample size. But David Johnson was getting 20 to 30 points a game in fantasy in a PPR league. David Johnson is one of the premier under-the-radar guys this year. I think you're not going to see him go early on. But I think he most certainly will be a sleeper. I'm expecting almost the same type of production, if not even better, uh, with Houston than he was with Arizona. And he seems like he's got a fire in his eye and maybe he's got a chip on his shoulder after he got traded. You know, maybe he feels a little hurt by that. And if he plays well because of it, I think he's worth the risk. Um I wouldn't necessarily go out there and get him as my RB1, but if you're one of those guys who's drafting in the later rounds and you have to pick and choose between your positions and you think you can fall back with running back a little bit, David Johnson's a guy I'm keeping my eye on because he may not get you the flashiest numbers, but he's always going to get you know, three to five catches a game. I think that's almost going to be a given at this point. And... That being said, in a PPR league, that alone, this is assuming he's stuffed at the line, that alone's giving him about five points, not including his rush attempts, not including if he gets into the end zone, which, mind you, the Texans are a team that offensively love the short dink passes to running backs, love the little check down runs, the little the RPO runs, you know, all these like short run play, short scant pass or to your halfback, though that's what the Texans like to run. So I think he is going to really excel in that area of the field. When the Texans get into the red zone, I think he is a guy I am keeping my eye on. And I think he has what it takes to be a breakout fantasy player this year. Now, if you don't want to take that type of risk, here's another guy for you. Alvin Kamara, early on, easy pick. I think year in and year out, very similar skill set. Just I think he's way more elusive, way faster, and he's got a different type of quickness to him. Um, moving on from running back, we do have uh, a couple of other running backs down the list. We got Saquon Barkley, easy pickup. Uh, I think Ezekiel Elliott's also a good pickup. Uh, Dalvin Cook, can't forget about him. I think Dalvin Cook is the guy I'm going for after McCaffrey if he's not there. Uh, Devontae Adams is uh, 
a guy I'm I, I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, I know he's not a running back, but I think that's a another wide receiver pick that you don't really necessarily see too early on when all these big names are going. But I don't think he's I don't think it's a bad risk to take him as your first receiver in the draft. Uh, depending on where you're picking in the draft, I don't think that's a bad pick because now you got Aaron Rodgers coming into the season with a chip on his shoulder, and if we've seen this guy play with a chip on his shoulder before, you already know. Aaron Rodgers has been Mr. Efficiency and Mr. Fantasy, and I think the guy who's going to benefit the most from it is Devontae Adams. I think he is really going to feast this year. Uh, That's just my own personal prediction on the matter. Uh, Another running back, Derrick Henry, uh, I think, top five running back. A lot of these... Early on running backs, I don't think you can really go wrong with a lot of them. Nick Chubb, another good one. Uh, uh, Here's a a couple of guys, though, that I think under the radar are going to have breakout years. I already mentioned David Johnson. Now, I also want to mention rookie running back DeAndre Swift for the Lions. They have desperately been trying to find an RB1 who they can just plug and play and not worry about it and maybe have a third down back instead of a running back by committee. And they want a guy who can stay healthy. And maybe DeAndre Swift is that guy. He is a fast running back, just like his name says, Swift. He is really swift on his feet, and he is really good. And I think that is one of the guys uh, in the later rounds. If he's there, I'm taking him. And if I've already got an RB1 and an RB2, I think I just have a stacked lineup at that point. I can plug him in flex or... Even trade away my RB2. I think that's another good thing to look out for. Try to trade with people who you think they have a favorite player. Try to trade their favorite player for leverage. Try to catch some good players in a cup off slump. Even if you know they they got good matchups ahead of them, they're going to turn it around to somebody who's you know, not as informed or any wiser about the situation. <laughs> um. But DeAndre Swift was one of them, and another one, Joe Mixon. I think Joe Mixon is also breakout. Uh, he He's put, played solid last year. He wasn't nothing fancy. He wasn't top five, top ten, but he was a serviceable RB1 where majority of the time he, he wasn't hurting you. You know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't lay a goose egg for you, but... A lot of the times he'd get you about 14, 15, nothing spectacular, but got the job done. I think now that offense in Cincinnati is just going to be a lot more electric, having a whole new dynamic at quarterback with Joe Burrow back there. Uh, They got another receiver added. Uh, A.J. Green's going to be back. I think Joe Mixon's got all the tools to help him succeed, and he's one of those guys that can get it done. Another couple of names to talk about on the list, uh, you know, got, you know, Zach Ertz is a good one. Uh, A.J. Brown, I think I'd watch out for A.J. Brown. Uh, he showed last year that he can be a number one receiver in Tennessee, and that's something that they have not had in a while. I don't think they've ever had a elite receiver, and... I think he's got a chance to do that. That body frame, he's 6'4", 6'5", big guy, but he can make those really difficult catches. And a guy he reminds me a lot of in ways, 
is uh, Julio Jones. Uh, he reminds me a lot of that guy because he's really big, fast, but great hands. Uh, and he, even the guy who played in Houston, he reminds me of Andre Johnson in a way. Uh, big guy, goes up, makes those double cover ca- catches a lot. Uh, he's definitely a scary guy. I think he's a guy to watch out for. Um, Tyreek Hill, obviously, is another easy go-to um, with Patrick Mahomes back there. Any of those guys is good. Keenan Allen's a good pick. It's uh, another one. Rob Gronkowski, uh, I think that's a pick that most people should avoid. Uh, I think that's a, that's a pick that a lot of people are going to want to jump the gun on. They're going to be like, oh, well, that's Gronk. Because... I mean, I saw that Madden gave Gronk like a 96 or something like that. And Gronk was like that at his peak. But his last season in the league, he was just slightly above average. Nothing spectacular. And who knows if that was just a result of him not wanting to play, so he didn't give it his all, didn't play his best, or if he just genuinely genuinely lost his touch. That's to be seen. So I, I don't have a lot of faith in Gronk. I say if you can somehow steal him, you need a tight end in the late, late rounds. And, you know, he's there. Go for him. No no harm in that. Or even use him as trade bait to somebody else. Draft Gronk, somebody that you know might need a tight end or want Gronk. Use it as trade bait. Offer him in a trade for some guys that were on positions where they seem kind of stacked. And help your own team out. I think he'd be good for that. I, I really would go for O.J. Howard. If I'm going to pick a tight end from that team. It's O.J. Howard. Because I think with Tom Brady at quarterback. That guy's already good. He's young. I think he's got nothing but room to improve. And that offense is going to be deadly in Tampa this year. I think they're going to be a very hard offense to stop. The real question is, can their defense keep up with them? And that will be determined. Uh, but overall, fantasy-wise, these are kind of my picks, my my go-tos, the easies for anybody trying to get good in fantasy. But uh, that's it for football. And now we're moving on to our last topic, baseball and Astros baseball at that. All right, for the final topic of the night, we're going to bring it back around to baseball. Missed out on baseball last week's episode, but this week we're going to talk about the Astros, and it's really the only baseball I've really been given a chance to watch myself personally, but I've been trying to keep up with everybody's stats and all that. With the Astros, they've been in a little bit of a slump for the season. They've been up and down. They kind of started well, and then... It kind of just started slowly going all downhill since they faced the Dodgers. Um, And that's not necessarily, it might have been a mental game, but a lot of it is the Astros offense. They still have one of the biggest point differentials in the league. Them and the Dodgers are the only ones that are even remotely considered good. Everybody else, it's, it's those two are in a different league and then there's everybody else and the Astros' offense isn't necessarily struggling, but I'm not going to say it's not. Because you got guys like Jose Altuve who are batting 130 right now. And that is just atrocious if you are anybody, anybody in the starting lineup. 
the only guys that have batting averages typically on you know championship teams that low are guys who are consistently at the bottom of the lineup. And now I want to give credit to Jose Altuve anyway. He told Dusty Baker that he wanted to be moved lower to closer to the bottom of the lineup because of his play. He's recognizing it, and I think it takes a certain leadership ability to really evaluate yourself like that. Realize, hey, I'm not helping this team at all. Put me in a position to where I can work my way back up and it won't affect the team negatively like it has been. And... He's doing it at a good time. Joran Alvarez is coming back, and if we're being honest, that's the Astros' best player right there. And he's in his second year, but I'll be damned if he didn't start this year like just as exciting as the last. First at bat, a full count, drives one deep, a three-run bomb for his first at bat back. And the Astros, it's a small sample size. It's been two games, and this is being recorded in in his third game, in the middle of his third game coming back, so I don't know the result of that one yet. But so far, he has been, they have been a 2-0. And Jordan is batting close to about 250 to 300, which is exactly where you want your best players to be batting. And he's batting well. He's getting hits. He's gotten a hit in each game so far. One of them a homer. The other one, the other night, his first at bat, he got a he got a single, and he was able to drive in a run for him. So he is definitely one of the go-to players I would watch out for on the Astros. And I mean, he may only be a DH, but that guy hits baseballs prettier than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, having the privilege myself to get to watch a game his rookie year, I will say watching that swing from him looks like it's so effortless. And then you watching the baseball just get crushed. It, it's just unbelievable. I think he's got one of the best swings and hits in baseball. Uh, and I think he's got a very bright future in the league. And I just want to say thank you to the Dodgers for giving him in that trade a couple years back. Because it was probably the best thing that happened to the Astros. Probably the only Astro that never cheated. <laughs> but besides that, I think bringing him back also sparked something in this team. You could kind of see it on the field. You could see it with the energy that they were giving off. They were excited to have Jordan back. They understood that the AL Rookie of the Year last year, despite coming in damn near halfway through the season, coming in June, July, this man went on a tear for the rest of the regular season and won Rookie of the Year. He was the best hitter in baseball since he entered the league. You know how hard that is to grasp? Rookies don't usually make a splash like Jordan did. We have the exception with, of course, Pete Alonso also had a great rookie year. And, you know, he, he just as deserving could have won it. But Jordan was hitting on another level. He was hitting MVP caliber. He was playing fantastic for the Astros. And 
part of that momentum was what ca- helped carry them all the way through the regular season with the best record in the MLB that year. And they were able to do very well in the postseason. And a lot of that was due to good pitching. But Jordan also just having a guy there that you know any at-bat, he can just crush one deep against any pitcher. I, th- I think that that's the type of thing that these players seem to feed off of, is when one guy's going good, the rest of them start feeding off of each other. And right now what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of the key guys not really step up the way we're used to seeing. You know, Michael Brantley's on the IL. He's usually a good hitter, but not really a home run guy. Josh Reddick right now has got the best batting average on the team, but he's not getting home runs either. However, Jose Altuve, George Springer, you know, uh, Yuli Gurriel, a lot of these guys, they're playing well as far as home runs, but their batting averages are not lining up with it. They are they are not playing well. Now, Yuli, however, he has definitely stepped up since Jordan's comeback. He has been way more efficient. Seems like he's not striking out hardly at all as compared to swinging at everything trying to find something i think it's it's got to be <laughs> i heard one of the astros commentators say when yuli hit a, a home run right after Jordan's three-run homer they said it's the cuban missiles I, I like that combo and i think they do too it's it's showing up in their play um i think it's just a little something to keep Keep an eye on moving forward. The Astros right now are 9-10. and 10. Uh, They're on a somewhat of a win streak, two-game win streak. Went three out of their last four. Uh, pretty solid. They were 7-9, and nine, which was the low point of the season, and they've managed to bring it back to a 9-10, and 10, or a 10-10, and 10, I should say. They are 10-10 and 10 right now. And now they are... Fighting for hopefully above 500 for the first time since the beginning of the season. Um, But it'll still be interesting to see. We're only about a third of the way through the season. Uh, And with this year's playoff bracket being way larger than it's ever been, I think it's still anybody's game. Any team could take it. And in baseball, 90% of the time... It's about whoever is on the hottest hitting streak. It's Sometimes it's just a game of streaks. You can be the best team in the league, but if a team comes in here and just plays lights out, there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, the Nationals last year are a perfect example. All year long, they weren't really a team that people worried about. But late regular season, postseason started... They weren't a team that anybody could stop because they were on fire. They had everything going for them. Their pitching was great. Their hitting was great top to bottom of the lineup. They just outplayed everybody. And it's not something that you can really plan or prepare for because some of these guys just out of nowhere, you know? So baseball is just a game of streaks sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't matter how much talent you got on your team. You just won't be able to get it done whenever the other team's just hitting everything they see. (laughs) But 
that's all the time I got for this episode. I appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Uh, appreciate all the feedback I've gotten. Uh, three episodes in and honestly couldn't enjoy it anymore. Uh, but, you know, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, hope you all tune in again another episode. Share it with your friends. Let me know what you all think. I hope you all have a great day and have a good one.